Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. I am Avery, your queerfully, fearfully host. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Substack at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates such as what to expect for every new episode. And today we are joined, I believe this is the last episode of the season, and we are joined by not just one, but two guests, two very lovely mutuals of mine. I met in a lovely Discord set up by uh, the, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of his at right now. I just think of his name. Yes, Haunting Season. I'm just like, Josh, no haunting season um so go ahead introduce yourself to the people <laughs> um so my name is Aaliyah jones i'm the host of the abby normal podcast uh my husband colin and i we, re- we review horror movies um and do a lot of fun like horror trivia games uh and we are also wrapping up our season next week as of this recording and uh, I'm Lucy Ball. Um, I'm a felted little uh, guy that runs a video store on TikTok and Instagram and the like. And today's episode, today's conversation is going to be a great time. Let me just say it is one that we all have been anticipating, very excited for as we enter the uh, holiday season. But before we get any deeper into that, we do have to learn a little bit about our guests. Hello. Um, So I will start with Aaliyah. And if you're a reader, cool. If you're a gamer, cool. But in terms of horror, what have you been consuming recently? Lately, I've been just watching all the newer shows that are airing right now on TV. So my husband and I have been watching the new Goosebumps series. Uh, Boulay Brothers' Dragula just started their fifth season on Shudder, and it's I've been so watching good. that. So I'm very excited for that season. Um, but I can't really think of, like, as far as binging goes, I haven't watched the new Mike Flanagan series on Netflix yet. So um, it takes me a while to get into new stuff, especially TV That's series. That's fair. That's totally valid. Um, Dragula mm-hmm. is so good this season. I'm obsessed. And then Goosebumps, the last episode just aired. And I I think they did a very good job. And I'm not just being biased because they sent me a sweatshirt. Yeah. I, <laughs> I thought they did a very good modern rendition of the series. It's got the yeah, it's got the it really Justin cool. Long character in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll you'll put him yeah. in anything. I'm gonna look at it. So I, it's on the it's on the list. Exactly, and he keeps playing mm-hmm. characters that we're just not used to seeing. So it's always fun to see him on screen. Now, Lucy, what have you yeah. been consuming recently? Oh, well, I consume a lot of things, you know, like souls and potato chips. But um, as far as, uh, you know, content uh, that I've been consuming, um, I've so I, I do I do my little uh, my Twitch stream. It came from the public domain. I'm trying to get this next year's uh, schedule all lined up. So I've been watching lots of uh, 
uh, public domain, black and white, weird, weird little movies. Uh, I, I just, um, I've fallen into an El Santo hole um, where if, uh, if you're not aware, he's like a, a tremendous luchador in, in Mexico. And they had a whole series of movies. It would be El Santo versus the vampire women, El Santo versus the mummies. And they're all um, fantastic for different reasons. So I've been I've been stuck on a lot of stuff like that lately. Interesting. I'll have to check that out because oh, yeah, if there's yeah, one yeah. thing I love, it's a like what what would be the best way to describe it? A continued and just like cohesive franchise where it's like Dracula and the Mummy. Dracula and Frankenstein. I really wish they would have continued with Freddy versus Jason, Freddy versus Chucky. Where did where did I, that go? I don't know. Right. I, I would have Freddy. loved to have seen the uh the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, like they had the comic book series. Uh they there were the initial plan was to take that comic storyline and make that into a, a film franchise, but they couldn't something with new line not being able to line mm -hmm. up the friday the 13th the nightmare on elm street and the evil dead rights yeah evil dead was another franchise i caught myself up on this year i haven't watched the i haven't watched the 2013 or the newest one yet but the first three in army of darkness were a fun oh, watch totally and uh, those 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 millennial ones the 2013 and evil dead rise are both very good too really good i mm -hmm. have to admit i'm not the biggest evil dead fan but i enjoyed the newer one and the 2013 one i think is just so gritty and grimy and i love that yeah there, there was lots of nice um uh what's it callbacks to uh to the old yeah. ones too i i appreciated that yeah yeah Ugh, callbacks just yeah. so fun because you also get to prove how knowledgeable you are <laughs> all right yeah. and now i know we're all horror fans but is there any other genre that you just could not live without whether that's a book genre game genre movie genre i definitely love slashers and i know lucy's how what do you call robin lucy i'm so uh, you know, pathetic human, pitiful human. Uh, you can say puppeteer. That's what some people would call it. I don't know what that word means, though. Yeah, but we talked about uh, slashers a while back when we did our Terrifier review, and it's one of those subgenres that has a formula, but it has a lot of creative room that you can work with. So that's why every time a slasher comes out, I always want to go see it because I always want to see how the filmmakers tackle it. Like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a gumbo, you know, like everybody knows yeah. the basic ingredients of a gumbo, but you go to this guy's house and he puts a little more paprika right. and this guy might put some shallots or something in there. So it's all a, a different milieu, uh, no matter where you get it. Right. Yeah. That's what I've been saying about, a lot of the slashers that have come out, like <clears throat> It's a Wonderful Knife, I saw Thanksgiving last night, and though it is very formulaic. Oh, brag about it, why don't you? I saw Thanksgiving, is it good? Please tell me it's <laughs> it good, I wanna good. see it. I think <laughs> you will like it. Um, it's okay. very fun, It's I, I feel like it has a really good balance of um, comedy and horror, because you know how sometimes it verges into camp and like, 
I don't think it verged into camp. I think it was a really good balance. Uh, And the gore, I mean, it's Eli Roth. Hello. Um, The gore was was good. The kills were creative and good. And it goes back to, you know, it being formulaic, but finding ways to also make it your own and make it, um, it was very reminiscent of like early 2000s slashers, but also there was that, that feeling of like, this is today. And this is what we're dealing with today that I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I liked the Fear Street trilogy so much. Mm. I thought the way that uh, the director went like through this whole creative process of like, okay, we've got this story, but how are we going to execute it? And they not only took the supernatural aspect of a witch's curse and applied it into certain slasher tropes, but it was, it felt a lot like a whodunit situation. Mm -hmm. Because we know about Sarah Fear and we know about this witch's story, but we do we really know she really did it? That's the part that, you know, gets woven into the third installment. And I love that. I just love the way that they tackled it. Yeah, I agree. It's a good series. All right, yeah. Lucy, what yeah. about you? Uh, genre I can't live without. Oh, man, I don't know. Um, eh, this is great radio. Um I'd say uh, the the genre I can't live without is a good haunting story. That um, that's why if if I've watched a million terrible haunting movies simply because they were marketed to me as a haunting film. So I think that's yeah. the one that like is always going to keep mm-hmm. me to come back. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's as good an answer as you're going to get out of me. So what, let me ask you this then, because when I'm telling people about Hell House LLC, I'm like, it's a little bit of everything. How do you feel about that franchise? Um, I can't speak to the franchise because I've only seen the first film, but I, yeah. I really enjoy that first film a lot. Um, I I think it, it, it drops the ball a little bit in a couple places, but the, um, the severe creep of the parts that work uh, make the whole thing worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah, have you seen Hell House LLC? I have not watched it yet. So Lucy, your opinion is as good as mine because I have no opinion right now. Hey, I'll, I'll take that to the bank. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> well, I will say as someone who does not like paranormal stuff, Hell House, I think because it is a mixture of like found footage, mockumentary, uh, paranormal, and like you also have the clowns. I think it all works very well. And there were like genuinely scary parts in there that I, I was hooked the entire time. And I was very surprised that I was. So I think you could have a fun time. Yeah. I I hadn't thought of it until you said it that way, but it is kind of like they took a spooky spaghetti and threw it at the wall. And they were like, what? Okay, here's the clown. There's the ghost. Uh, We'll put some demons in there. But it it works. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels like every time they introduce a new horror element, you're like, well. Okay, sure. Let's see how you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's get to know you all as horror fans and content creators a little bit more. Um, We'll start with Lucy this time. So what was it about horror that stuck out to you when you first discovered it? And if you can remember, what was your first encounter with horror? 
Well, you know, I'm very old. I've been here for a very, very long time. I met this hungry woman, and then everything went to shit after that. Um, so I'll let um, I'll I'll let the, uh, the 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 fleshy guy handle this one. Um, hi guys, my name is Robin Graves. I'm the uh, <laughs> maniac behind all that Lucy stuff there. But um, uh, so I think what it is about horror that draws me, and I'd say probably you two as well to it, is it's just something. It's just cool. Like I I can't. There's like a, that. It's it's like a roller coaster kind of feeling where. Um, you kind of run to that thrill. Uh, so I think that, and that, and just like, it's a, it's a little taboo while still being kind of safe. So like, there's just something a little outsidery about the whole thing that I think attracts a specific type of person. And as far as like my, my first encounter, uh, it would be like, I had these older cousins that were super into horror films and they would tell, and they would tell me about everything. And I was like a really frightenable child, but I was watching these movies like as soon as anybody would put me in front of them. Um, and they never freaked me out too bad, but sit me in a room with like a Ringling brothers clown or, uh, like try to make me go to sleep in my bedroom alone. And it's a nightmare. So I think the first, like a horror film I remember watching was my parents had rented scream and I like was in a quilt in the living room going to bed because I was afraid to go to sleep in my room alone. And they were like, okay, you can do that or whatever, but like, don't, don't watch the TV. Like this is not made for you. And I was under the blanket, like, you know, sneaking peeks of, of the, better part of scream there so i think that's like the first one and uh even that was like oh so like the the films aren't actually like always super scary there's a lot of fun to be had there and then it just never stopped naturally that is yeah. that is the scream effect might i say <laughs> yeah totally yeah and Aaliyah, what about you so like Robin, I was very terrified of a lot of things so i didn't fully immerse myself into horror until later in my teens, but my earliest fondness, I guess, of horror was when uh, my mom back in the day used to work in a video rental store. And my dad would take my sister and I there every Friday to rent out a few movies for the weekend. And we would always rent like a kid's movie, like a Disney. And then they had those Goosebumps VHS uh, series. And I would always grab one of those. And it was just a good balance of the two. You start out with something scary to bring up the tension and then you bring yourself back down with a nice fluffy sort of movie. So yeah, Goosebumps, the perfect gateway yeah. horror. Me and my mom did the same exact thing. We would go to our video store nearby. I would get the Night of the Living Dummy 2, not the first one, but the yeah, second one. It was like the bride, like the bride of the dummy or something like that. Um, and always that VHS, I ran it down. Let me tell you, like, I'm surprised it didn't play the amount of times I played it, returned it and then bought it again. Um, and so what is it, do you think that kind of drew you, especially you becoming a horror fan later in your life? Um, what was it about horror that kind of drew you in? 
something about the way movies I feel like are made in general is what really got me into movies. But later on, when I watch more horror movies, I thought the way that they were written sometimes, especially like the ones that I was introduced to. So like Scream or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, those are my earliest intros later in my teens. But the way that they're written and the concepts behind them were always so intriguing to me. So I like the way that they're written. I like the way that they're executed with practical effects and just the the way that process is laid out is very, very intriguing to me. Yeah. And horror can be multifaceted, many layers, um, even in the simplest movies like Halloween or any other slasher. I think slashers are the most creative to some extent because it's like mm -hmm. you just have a silly little guy running around doing silly little things and yet it can be commentary for like consumerism somehow some way um so it's always it's always which is funny to think about now that they have you can buy anything with any slasher character's face on it and they right. are normally a comment on consumerism that's a yeah that's a pretty interesting little point there yeah 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 wow horror every time i talk about it goosebumps mm -hmm. like right now um well, yeah. now you already kind of talked about your subgenres that you lean into um so for lucy you like a good haunting and what's a movie within that genre and outside of it that you've loved within the last year or two oh within the last year or two oh you're making it kind of tough there um with the, okay so um haunting uh within the last year or two is going to be a uh, host that that zoom movie uh that yeah. that freaked me right out that was awesome so host for sure and then outside of that something i really enjoyed oh um you know, I'm gonna say uh, Hebe GB TV because it's a it's a very fun title to say, uh, but uh, <laughs> if yeah. if you're not aware, it's a it's a wonderful independent film. Uh, it did a bunch of festival circuits in the past couple of years, and it just released on uh, Screenbox on Friday the thirteenth in October. And it's about like an interdimensional cable box that shows up in some town and people start getting it. And the movie is comprised of the weird things that are on the cable channels. I mean, there's lots of really interesting puppetry and just weird stuff in there. Very cool. It's like, um, it's like cat in the hat on acid or something. It's very strange. That's a great way to sell it. I have to look into it now. Wow. Yeah, I do highly recommend it. <laughs> and what about you, Aaliyah? Um, within the slasher subgenre, I'm looking at some of my old notes from movies I've reviewed the last couple of years. Uh, the one that really stands out the most to me is Pearl. Like, yeah. Pearl is a good, I feel like it definitely falls under that slasher subgenre pretty well. And I love, like, I think out of most A24 directors, Ty West has a really creative way of not only writing movies, but executing them in a very artistic way. Mm -hmm. um, so I like Pearl. And then outside of slashers, um, one of the movies I recently reviewed, Train to Busan, 
is the zombie apocalyptic movie, which are not usually my favorite types of horror tropes, but I thought the way that this was put together was very, very great. It checked a lot of boxes for me. It was well-written, well-paced. The zombies were terrifying, and it, it has action in it. There's a lot of action sequences that I really enjoyed. Um, but those are, the, those are the movies that I can think of. Yeah, Train to Busan, something that I appreciate about it um, is that I think, I mean, the concept of a zombie apocalypse is sad in a way. You have your loved ones who are being turned into zombies. You're, you're probably never going to see them again the way that you remember them. And I think Train to Busan illuminated that um, where it often hasn't been. And I did shed a tear, I have to say. Have I ever shed a tear at a zombie movie? No, until I saw Train to Busan. Mm-hmm. I know, I haven't I haven't felt that way, I think, since Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Uh, there's a scene in there where, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, but there's a scene where Annie, played by Danielle Harris, uh, gets attacked by Michael in her house. And... Uh, Lori comes home and finds her and she's like holding her and crying and as she slowly dies and something about that performance was very very moving Mm -hmm. and it was like the one of the very few times I've ever cried over a horror movie that entering I want to I want to give you so many kudos uh, (laughs) because I maintain to this day that Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is better than John Carpenter's Halloween 2. Wow. And uh, that brings out, that that gets the torches and pitchforks going, yeah, trust me. I know. But so hearing somebody else say like that there's merit in there is like, thank you so much. That means the world to me to hear. <laughs> yeah, I can, I mean, I can see where that comes from too, because John Carpenter's Halloween 2, he didn't even want to make it. To begin with. Yeah, he hated it. He hated it. What are you talking about? You can tell. You can tell that his heart wasn't in it the way that it was with the original Halloween. Um, And, I mean, he so obviously tried to end the saga, and it didn't. So, Rob Zombie Zombie doing Halloween 2, it's, I mean, his heart was in it, obviously. And he's just a really big horror fan. He knows what he wants to see and what horror fans like him want to see on screen. And that's why I always enjoy his movies. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan, big fan. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, since the spotlight has been on you, Aaliyah, we'll start with you with this question. Uh, What is a horror movie that you wish you could watch again for the very first time? Oh, I don't know. Oh my God, there's so many good ones. I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I'm trying to think of ones that I have seen in theaters Mm -hmm. where I walked away feeling like I just saw a really good movie. And I can't think of one off the top of my head. Why don't we go to Lucy and come back to me when I think of (laughs) So I was was afraid Uh. of having the exact same reaction. But um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is Incantation. Um, I remember when I the first time I sat and watched Incantation, it completely blew me away, and I I would uh, I would give my left hoof to to be able to experience that again. It was really something special. Okay, it was that was a very 
And now the hot seat is back on you, Aaliyah. What are you going to do? I don't know. Well, I, mean, I think you just, you can get a cop out. I do them all the time. It's like, I can never choose just one, but one of them that I would choose to see. Yeah. That's an elegant um, way to, to unanswer that question. I guess if I had to pick, and probably because um, I was just listening to another podcast cover this movie, but the 2020 Invisible Man remake yeah. was so good. And I wish I had seen this movie in theaters because that's, a, that's how remakes, I feel like, should be made. It, like if you're going to take a concept of something that's already been done and you're going to modernize it in like today's setting that would be the way to go about it in the way that i mean elizabeth moth is moss is a really good performer actress and she really knows how to deliver nonverbal cues in like such mm. a great way and i think the concept of the suit itself is what turns or makes the uh, uh, attacker invisible uh is a really great concept and i loved a lot of things about it it checked a lot of boxes i like trained busan so yeah yeah that's a one if we lived in a bojack horseman universe <laughs> elizabeth moth would be a fantastic actress <laughs> and two um i haven't seen the invisible man remake yet but does he skip down the street going here we go gathering nuts in may in this one too i wish he did because that uh what i really had hope everybody's tough until the pants start walking <laughs> i tell you i wish they had a similar character uh of that barmaid from the original invisible man because she was a riot <laughs> yeah i love her yeah, love yeah. her I actually didn't know that that was tied to the original Invisible Man. I thought it was a concept on its own. I think because of the way that they modernized it with the suit, um, I just didn't put two and two together. But that movie did really surprise me because I, I don't know. Did it get a theatrical release? I know I saw it on Netflix and yeah. that was the only place I've ever seen it at. Um, but... I remember seeing trailers in the theater, at least. So I assume it is the theater. Maybe, maybe it just didn't have like a long theater life lifespan. No, I don't think it made a lot of People money. don't appreciate art when they see it. Let me tell you. Right. It's, it's true. It's right. true. I, I, I say it all the time. Whenever anybody walks past me on the street and doesn't give me a little wolf whistle, <laughs> they, they don't appreciate art when exactly. they look at it. Oh, saying it for everybody. Um, yeah. I know, I know. Now, our last question before we get into the nitty gritty, it's one thing to be a horror fan and it's another to immerse yourself in the community and take a step further by becoming a voice within it like we all have done. So what brought you to becoming a content creator within the horror community and has it opened your eyes to anything that you may have been unaware of before, whether that is the production of horror movies or the horror community themselves or you know whatever it may be. So and and I'm gonna actually answer this one. Um, I think what brought me around to wanting to like make things in this like internet horror place is like for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to. Here we go. I always wanted to be Elvira. Like I've always wanted to like do that hosting thing. Or like anytime I would watch those like 
101 most frightening movie moments on AMC mm -hmm. or whatever. I always dreamed of being one of the people they would call to like come and talk about whatever scene is coming up. Mm -hmm. And um, then like through just everything, I like it's something I always wanted to do. It was like, but like, mm -hmm. let's be frank, like the the internet needs another random edgy white dude talking about horror movies. Like it needs a whole host of other another one of those guys doing one of those things. Um, so like spinning it into this different like realm of creativity with like a puppet and a character and background and all that. It's uh, it gave me a way to step into like trying to be like the host. I always wanted to like get a chance to be. So that's, it's just for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be involved. Um, so it's just been a, a lifelong sickness that I'm finally getting to engage in. Well, and it's nice that you were able to kind of step back and look at the, I don't want to call it a market, but like just the, the space, yeah. the space of um, podcasts, but specifically like horror podcasts and horror content creators um, and trying to find an avenue that would make you stick out. And I do yeah. think like, the puppeteering aspect, the character, the last video store on earth, like all of it, it, I, the way that it draws people together and intrigues people, particularly on TikTok, which is where I see it the most, um, is really nice because yeah, you don't see, you don't see those outside of the box, um, ways of, of approaching what we do. So yeah. I it, didn't like, I didn't want to just like come out and be dead meat too. You, you know what I mean? Like they're already doing that and they're great at it. So like, why would you just try and like do that same thing? So yeah, uh, you just find your lane and do it. So my, my, my main right. goal is to blow up and be and Sesame like street for weird parents. <laughs> weird parents. Yeah. 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 Living our childhood. And what about you? Olivia? Uh, so I mean, as far as like content creating, I never really thought about doing content creating in the form of podcasting. I actually was originally like posting my artwork on TikTok and Instagram, just trying to do something with art specifically. But then when the pandemic hit and everybody was kind of shut in for a while, my husband and I didn't really have anything to do. And I had thought about doing podcasting mm -hmm. for a while, but I didn't really find my niche yet until later in the first year we started doing this because we had tried a couple different things we try talking about food we try talking about local stuff in rochester new york i even did a couple of true crime stories a little bit but like the same thing with white guys talking about horror there's already a bunch of white women talking about true crime on the internet and i didn't want to be just one out of ten thousand other white women doing true crime so we took a step back and we said we're getting into the fall season. Why don't we try horror for a bit and see what we do with that? And we found that that was getting a lot more attention than most of the other stuff that we were already doing. So I said, then why don't we make this into a horror movie podcast? I mean, I already like talking about movies in general. Like I get, once I get passionate about talking about stuff, I start to really get into the conversation. So we did that <laughs> and that's just how it's been for the past four seasons now. Somebody else got passionate about that conversation. Pink, Pink loves <laughs> horror movie conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my dogs do too. They, they like all kinds of conversation. 
Um, yeah, and I mean, on your podcast, you also talk about cryptids um, and and urban legends, or not even urban legends, but like mythical legends um, from state to state, which I think is a cool aspect to it. It's a part of, I guess you would say, pseudo science um, that is not talked about very often at least on in my neck of the woods on the internet um so it's it is a cool addition to you know the horror movie conversation because after doing horror movies and horror trivia games for so long you gotta switch it up a little bit and colin has been you know very passionate about stuff like that so i and i wanted to try to include him into the conversations a little bit more and you know, I'm like, let's talk about stuff that you're passionate about. I'm like, what movies do you want to talk about? So we talked about some of his favorites, and then we talked about cryptids a little bit. And then we started doing this thing where, like, we do the remake debates. We talk about the original and the remake of a movie. And we talk about the similarities and the differences and what each movie brings to the table. And then we also did, like, uh, something similar like that, but with horror movie tropes. Like, we did horror comedies, horror musicals, and vampire movies, werewolf movies. Uh, So we try to like not stick to one specific type of conversation. We try to broaden it up a little bit. Yeah, horror musicals. I need to see more, quite frankly, um, because I feel like all the horror musicals we're getting are parodies. Currently in New York, there's a Saw parody. There was a Jaws parody. In Las Vegas, there's a Scream parody. And I... Mm -hmm. I mean, we got I love the it. we got the the Exorcist was running in L.A. They had a rock opera yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, um, there also was the Exorcist here too, but I don't know if they're running it anymore. It looked very campy, though. I mean, the Exorcist is already campy, but this one looked a little yeah, a little I, over the top. I, I can't remember if they did a showing at uh, Midsummer Scream, a uh, big horror convention in Long Beach. Um, but they were they had a very serious presence. They were all over the place there. We are out of the fall season and we are officially welcoming in the holiday season with a horror classic. One may even say it's better than John Carpenter's Halloween. Who said that? I would Me. I would say oh. it. Lucy's owning up to it, okay? Um, well, I'm glad you're saying I'm not going to let you get out of this um, <laughs> because I'm glad that you're saying it too, but I would totally agree. I think it deserves all the shine that Halloween gets and maybe a little bit more. Yeah, and I think a part of that is because of the subgenre, very right. underrepresented subgenre of holiday horror. Um, I think there are a lot of Christmas horror movies, especially made between the i guess 70s and 2000s in which it's just it just is always like santa kills robo santa like jack frost and it's never taken seriously but bob clark's black christmas in 1974 did take this narrative uh and this slasher theme very serious Um, deathly serious you might say sickly serious um it was a canadian slasher directed by the infamous bob clark and written by a roy moore the original title was actually stop me and i'm glad that they didn't go with that because i feel like that doesn't really capture what we're working with 
it's not as punchy as as Black Christmas for sure. And you said it was written by a Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Which Roy Moore was it? Come on, come on. Hey, Roy, just one, just one of them, not all of them. Um, it was initially released October 11th of 1974 in Canada, and later in December of the same year in the U.S. Which it predates Halloween as one of the earliest entries to the slasher genre. It is. It has done a lot of the things that people credit Halloween for, which is what Lucy was saying, the whole POV shot from the killer. People mm -hmm. say, oh, yeah, Halloween, Michael Myers was the first person who did it. No, it wasn't. It was Billy in Black Christmas, okay? You've heard it here first, folks. Maybe it's not the first time you've heard it, but get it right and remember it because, you know, Bob Clark didn't. Mm -hmm. There will be a yeah, test exactly, at the end. Exactly, and the uh the penalty is your life um so it was oh shit. Whoa, okay okay <laughs> now the movie was also set to make a tv premiere on nbc but a few weeks prior to its air date the ted bundy murders at the Kyle Omega sorority in florida happened so because the film hit a little too close to that they pulled it and i never really made that kind of historical connection to it before but i can definitely see why it wouldn't be. It's like, mm, read the room. Let's not put it on the air right now. Um, yeah. But that must have been honestly a really difficult time to even watch this movie oh, yeah. too. And I didn't know that that had happened around the same time too. Cause I mean, I like listening to true crime stuff as well. So I know about the Ted Bundy case. So hearing about that, I was like, really? I didn't know that was like the same time. But yeah, that was a very grisly yeah. case. Yeah, and I thought that when uh, there's the phone call where Billy's calling the house and, and it's like, stop me, stop me, where they would have gotten the title, stop me from. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought of that as sort of, um, I believe it was uh, that, 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 that Son of Sam guy. Um, there was there was like a stop me I'm a monster message written on a wall. And I thought this was a nod to that, but it, it, Son of Sam wasn't caught until 76, I think. So this was uh may have put the idea in his head who knows maybe who knows <laughs> and the earlier reviews for this movie were mixed commonly negative um and they were commenting on the slow pacing open ending and violence however over time it's been recognized as innovative and intelligent why because we can now recognize art hello um as an indie film the budget was six hundred eighty six thousand dollars but it earned over one million in box office and that's one million nineteen seventies dollars that's that's a lot more than yeah. a million dollars is now i don't know if i have the right conversion but i think it might be because last i checked it was like 4.1 million <gasps> wow so that's a lot of money. That is, wow. No wonder Bob Clark didn't do any more sequels, didn't do any. No, he get said, the bag and leave. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, but he also directed A Christmas Story. Really? Though, a little no. later. You're lying. Yeah. You're making yeah. stuff up. <laughs> no, really. I, I'm pretty sure I heard that on a documentary somewhere. But I, I think he directed a christmas story yeah, later he, he on. was like well i did one messed up christmas movie i guess i gotta do it right now 
Oh my God, he did. Directed by Bob Clark. He has a thing for Christmas. Well, and that explains why a Christmas story is so friggin' scary. And honestly, yeah, the whole you'll shoot your eye out. I and when Santa kicks the kid down the slide, come on, awful nightmare. The POV shots. The POV shots. Yes, he wanted wanted to make another Christmas horror movie. You can tell. Cinematic parallels. He'll love to see it. The concept for the 1974 Black Christmas derived from the urban legend of the babysitter and the call coming from inside the house, as well as a series of murders that occurred in Montreal, Quebec. Um, I don't know when, uh, like when a stranger calls, I don't know when that fell into place um, in regards to Black Christmas. I don't know if it came before or after, but I'd be interested to see. Um, Because I recently watched that movie and very similar, except I liked Black Christmas way better. (laughs) Yeah. When when the policeman is on the phone and says the call is coming from inside the house, I pointed at the screen like in the meme. I was like, oh, he he said the house. He said the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) I love when movies do that. Even when it's like a non-horror movie or whatever, I'm like, oh my gosh, the call. All right, so let's get into discussion about this movie in particular. For everyone listening, I asked Aaliyah and Lucy to watch all three Black Christmas movies for the ultimate Black Christmas Smackdown. <laughs> and then at the end, we will talk about which Black Christmas is this or that or what have you. Um, but first, we have to talk about each one, especially if you have not watched it. If you haven't, I don't know why, but we can talk about that later. Um, so the very first question at hand is, do you remember the first time you watched this movie and what kind of impact did it have on you? Um, the first time I saw uh, the 1974 Black Christmas was, I think, after seeing it listed on one of those scariest movie moments. And it's uh, it's it's the scene with Claire yeah. and the plastic wrap on a on a head there. Um, so after seeing that, I, I, I seeked sook. I don't know. I looked for the movie after that and, um, I, it didn't have a big impact on me then. Um, and then when you invited me onto this lovely show, I, uh, I, I watched through it again, just a couple of days ago and I really, really liked it. I, I, uh, because the only thing I really remembered was the the creepy phone calls and the plastic bag and yeah every it was great uh, I yeah it um it shook me up how people don't notice movie more than they do because it's it's fantastic if you like slasher films go watch it uh, get the family together have some eggnog watch it's a Black great Christmas. family movie what about you Aaliyah? uh well I know. A few years ago, I think when we first started doing the remake debate episodes on the podcast, Black Christmas was one of the movies we covered. And we only covered the original and the 2006 at the time. So I think that was the first time I watched the original Black Christmas. And I thought it was really good. And especially the POV shots were the things that really drew me in. And we have Burt Dunk to thank for that. He was the cinematographer for the movie. And in doing my research for that episode, I learned that he had actually built a body brace to mount the camera on 
and he was the person who walked through those POV wow. shots, which I thought was really yeah. cool. Um, and for this movie specifically, um, I personally watched it, I want to say last year for the first time, which is insane. Um, but it is after I started getting so much more into horror in the sense of like doing my podcast and trying to learn different things. Um, and that's when, of course, looking into Halloween and learning that Black Christmas was the inspiration behind that. And that's what led me to watch it. And as someone who loves holiday horror, particularly Christmas horror, I love it. Um, I love the warmth of the colors, the brightness, um, especially because horror now is just not always the brightest besides like midsummer. Um, so when you have a very bright, very bright horror movie and it's in Christmas, which is supposed to be a bright, cheerful time, you know, it's a jolly good time for me. So for this movie in particular, what uh, horror and non-horror elements stuck out to you as you watched it? Well, I mean, the the obvious answer is the POV stuff. It's so for for when it it came out, that was very inventive and novel. Um, so that that's clearly what they uh, they centered the the film around. That like you can, it's one of those things you can always tell in a movie where it's like, oh, you had this idea and then you wrote a whole script to justify it. Um, and that's how the POV shots feel. That feels like that's their like. Ah, kind of their moment. Um, so that is like the horror piece that really sticks out. Um, I think the non-horror elements that uh, I picked up on the most anyway is the very uh, theatrical or sort of vaudevillian uh, humor that's woven all throughout the thing. Like um, all the yeah. all the bullshtick <laughs> with the cops. Like... Uh, the the, oh, yeah. the the fellatio phone number and he's like oh well the sorority girl she gave it to me and everybody's laughing and so there's that one or um just uh mrs mac the uh yeah. the, the the school mom or whatever for the for the sorority house um all of her like hidden booze bottles all over the house and like she was leaving me mm -hmm. in stitches anytime she was on screen so uh, that's I think that's the biggest non-horror thing to stick out is how funny it is without sacrificing any of the, uh, the actual tension. And the set dressings yeah. are great. Everything right. looks fantastic. It's awesome. Like, it's one of those movies you really right. believe as you watch it. And Aaliyah? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, as far as the non-horror aspects, it's definitely got the right amount of comedic humor peppered throughout the movie without sacrificing too much of the horror elements to it which for me i love that you know we get this the primary setting is the sorority house and like you said it's warm with vibrant colors which already gives this atmosphere about like christmas time you're huddled up inside around bonfire or, or a chimney fire something like that and you know it's supposed to be a nice, warm, cozy environment, but with all this stuff going on, it really adds to the horror, like, tension to it. Mm -hmm. Especially when we don't know as the audience who the killer really is, what the reasoning for all this is. We just know that these are women who, unbeknownst to all of them, 
there's something weird going on inside the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, another thing that really stuck out, as you can tell, this is a 70s film because everybody was smoking indoors everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Like every other scene, somebody is lighting a cigarette inside and nobody cares. Nobody has anything to say about it. Nobody's going, <clears throat> like everybody's just like, oh, well, she's lighting a little cigarette again. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. I-, I took some notes as I was watching these. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I thought it was. Uh, I did like that the piano guy's bad recital um, was actually kind of a cool piece of music. I kind of dug that, but uh, that guy was a total joke. I hated him. Um, he totally had it coming. Once you see the movie, you'll understand. Uh, these other questions were answered. Um, her, Claire's father was. Like you ordered a stuffy father out of a stuffy father catalog. Oh my gosh. Uh, he was he was putting me in stitches <laughs> up until I started feeling really bad for him. Um and that Pete the piano guy, Peter, he was not beating the, the maniac allegations no. by breaking into the sorority house at the end. That was not helping oh him. Oh my any. gosh. Right. And um the um, I'm sorry. Spoiler time. This movie is almost 50 years old. If you haven't seen it already, what are you doing? Exactly. But um, right. the uh, the very end of the movie, um, th- this was, it may be one of my favorite endings in a horror film because uh, you see, um, what's the name? No, I can't remember that the, the survivor Goyle's name yes. in this movie. You say Jess? Yes. Is that it? Jess. Okay, Jess. So Jess and Peter are down in the basement, and Peter is dead, presumably from self-defense attack here. And the police are fully willing to be like, "Well, this guy clearly did it. He had a motive. He had time to be here. All the reason in the world to chalk him up for it." And the camera's focused on Jess laying into bed, and it pans back. And from my experience, I'm ready. To turn around, and then we're going to see Billy standing in the corner, ready to come and finish the work. Mm-hmm. But instead, you hear the floorboards creak. You hear the breathing start up again, and it, it clicks with you. They're like, oh, no, it's another POV shot. And we get up into the attic, and he's got his horrible Christmas setup with uh, with Mrs. Mac and uh, Claire. And the pan back from Claire into the window uh, with the the cellophane all around the head, and then the policeman just walking around on the porch, yeah. and no sound, only a phone ringing in the background. That was mm. fantastic, mm-hmm. really unsettling ending. And it wasn't like a fade to black or jump to black in credits. The credits just came. No, you got to sit there and look at it. Right. Yeah. It is probably the most interesting long shots I've ever seen in a movie, especially like a seventies movie where. Mm. I don't know about long shots, but like I'm a sucker for long shots. And I think that just that whole moment of the, like the, like you said, the camera focuses in on Jess's room and you have this whole scene play out in front of you. And instead of cutting to, it just pans over to the hallway to where the attic door is. And it just ends in that sequence of scenes. It's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. And I mean... I remember, especially when I watched it earlier this week, watching it and thinking, why is anyone leaving her alone? Like, 
even if you've captured the guy, like you're not going to make sure that she's okay when she wakes up. Like you're just going to leave her in the house alone. But yeah, there's a cop outside, but what is he going to do from being outside? Nothing. Um, and and they did, they did fully demonstrate that the police in this backwater town are the most incompetent yeah. police in the world. So uh, that tracks, that tracks that they right. would just leave. Them. It was like the police from uh, Halloween four. Yeah, yeah. Halloween four. Yeah, useless. The dopey, useless. like, yeah. Um, I yeah, think, Bonnie Fife all around. Yeah. I think for for me, the horror element that stuck out was the uh, the brutality of both Billy's words and his actions, but the lack of gore and blood. I mean, you see a little bit of blood, but mm-hmm. like, you don't have to see it um, to feel the brutality of it uh, and i thought that that was really good and it, it was scary also just the way that he was switching up his voices on the on the phone calls and you thought there were multiple people with him but the whole time it was literally just him but i also think the biggest thing is you're on a college campus you're in a sorority house you're already supposed to feel safe in your own home because that's your home that's where you're your most vulnerable at but also on a college campus where there is campus security all the time you have a house mother in your sorority house but the fact that you don't have to leave your house to be in harm's way because simply just being in your house is in harm's way and it's not just Billy being in the house, but also the calls, you can't escape it. Um, so I think just the fact that this thing is constantly surrounding these women, both with the phone calls and Billy just living there, um, that makes it really terrifying to think about. But the non elements that stuck out, I mean, like I said before, just the brightness and the glow of the lights, um, especially like just the shot of the house in the very beginning is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen and then when you get inside the house it's still just so warm and glowy um and it's very christmasy and then you learn that they're about to get murdered and you're like okay so this is not the christmas movie i thought it was um but yeah i also do like the comedy factor of it i think as we were talking about with thanksgiving it balanced both very well to where one moment you're holding your breath and the other you're letting it out in a laugh but it never took you out of it you never felt less scared uh because it's also just a slow burn and i feel like the slow burn really adds to the tension of the movie yeah a lot of those kill scenes are drawn out like it feels like we had the first one with Claire in the the bag over her head. And then it, I think it's about, what, what was it, like 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. later, there's another one. Because they're very drawn out from each other. So it's not like back to back to back to back like in some of the sequels. But, you know, it's very well paced out. It's not overly, like it's not over the top with horror. Yes. Now, I don't know if I would say very well paced out. Um, I, I love <laughs> 70s pictures um, for, for everything about them. But the pacing is, it's a lot to deal with um, as a modern movie right. viewer. Because all kinds of movies back then were much mm-hmm. slower. Um, and it's not even mm-hmm. so much that uh, there's a such a long gap between each moida, as it were. Um but but more that the gaps are filled with 
such mundanity until everything starts sort of coming together that something bad is going on. But the first like half of the movie is just college women getting ready to go home for Christmas and they can't find mm-hmm. one of them. Um, and it's not until they find the, again, here we go. Spoilers for a 50 year old movie, but when they find the, the, the body of the girl in the park, that's when uh, it starts to escalate a little bit. And that's like what? 45 minutes mm-hmm. into the movie or something like that. It's, it's really mm-hmm. well into the runtime before it really takes off. Yeah. But uh, you 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 made the point about um, how it's really brutal and violent, but it's not like splashy mm-hmm. or gory. That what was in the water in 1974? Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the same way. Yeah. It's uh, it's super brutal and it has a reputation yeah. for being brutal. But there's no like blood. no blood spilling out of anybody in that movie. So they they really knew well, what they were doing. With particularly like the scene that I think most people get so hung up on in texas chainsaw massacre is the meat hook and it's almost the same in black christmas whenever spoiler alert um the house mother gets the hook just straight into her jaw and you don't see it at all you you only see her in the aftermath of it i think at the very end whenever it's panning out but it's not even a clear shot you just see her in the background hanging out hanging out Well, I think, yeah, that's a a good point that you made about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and something that kind of, I guess, links them together. Oh, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that when we get to the 06 one. But uh, I've got some thoughts. (laughs) Okay. And so to wrap up our discussion on the 1974 original Black Christmas, um, this movie was unintentionally feminist, not intended for it but that is how people have perceived it over the years what do you make of those unintentional feminist themes within this movie i know go ahead take the cake (laughs) because i was watching the first one last night and when i looked over the questions especially the the one about the unintentional feminist aspects i was like kind of like trying to remember like how is it feminist? I mean, it's a sorority house and we usually like to equate feminism with sorority houses because it's a predominantly feminine environment. But watching the movie and looking at the characters as a whole, I think the way that they wrote each character is sort of feminist. Because when you look at the time in which it was released in 1970s, a lot of the things that these women were doing were kind of considered taboo, like the way Barb was with her drinking and her choice of words and her sex positivity, like that would have, she would have been a, like a social pariah in her time. Mm. And then with Jess and her story plot, you know, she's this college woman, she finds out she's pregnant, she doesn't want to have the baby. So she tells her boyfriend like, hey, I'm going to get this abortion this is just what's happening. I don't care if you are for or against it, but I'm not ready to just stop my plans just so I can settle down and have a baby, which is what most women are expected to do in that decade. So I'm like rewatching it a second time yesterday. I was starting to see more of these feminine aspects just in the way these characters were written. So I think that's what probably made it a little bit unintentional because like, 
they're writing these characters so that we we know who they are and what they're about but i think in the way that they wrote them they probably didn't think it was going to be that feminist but i can see how it's like feminist positive that's an interesting point that you made about how like each character kind of represents feminism in their own unique way because i think when people talk about the movie and its relation to feminism they usually just talk about jess because you know she's presented with this um opportunity so to speak from peter saying you know like oh i'm gonna be doing this and you can you can just drop out of school and not have to work and um have kids and she's like that's i have goals of my own um i'm okay without like do you not care about what I want to do, my plans for life? Um, and so to say that um, all of the other characters also kind of address different problems um, that women may face, considering whether it's, you know, like sex positivity and being a prude or this or that. Um, I never, yeah, I never considered how each one of them can contribute to that. What about you, Lucy? Well, uh, that's as I was as I was sitting and watching this the other day. Um, as it's beginning, uh, and you know Claire's taken out, and the the father is introduced, and and just my instincts were leading me to believe, like, oh, this father is going to be like a um, a sort of a moral center, right? Like he's going to be the like mm-hmm. rational thing that we, the viewer are supposed to anchor to. I mean, I was like, so is, is this movie going to be all about how these freewheeling wild women are being punished for not being like good little girls or whatever. And as we get to the conversation with Peter and Jess, where she is flat out, um, refusing to budge on her stance of having an abortion it was like oh no no they're not doing that uh the like the the women ought to focus i i didn't immediately think of this as a like a feminist film um so much uh but i did appreciate that um they were so that the the abortion thing seemed to really like be a big sticking point for what the not necessarily what the movie's about but something it had a lot to say about um because sort of everybody gives a shit about it like like mm-hmm. peter gives a shit and i it it the 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 70s-ness of their conversation was very humorous to me it probably should not have been but i did laugh when he's like she's like oh i'm pregnant and he's like that's great news and she says she doesn't want to have the baby and he accuses her of only thinking about herself i thought that was a very funny like but dude you are literally only thinking about how you feel about it right now um so i thought that was that is what flipped um that flipped my whole way of how i saw the movie is is what point it's making about that. And then the police are giving her shit about it once they have the phone tapped. Uh-huh. So I, I hope for all that is unholy that in the altercation with Peter in the basement, she lost it uh-huh. or something because she does not need yeah. to have that baby. She don't right. want it. No. Um, so that was, that was the biggest thing is I was afraid it was going to be a very like a uh, finger waggy kind of movie um, about yeah how women in college in the early seventies would be. Um, but 
but it having its head on straight about the about choice uh, was yeah. nice. I appreciated that. Yeah, and I think especially when it comes to slashers, horror in general, but slashers, um, there's always that aspect of like no one is believing the final girl. No one is believing the you know um, the woman who's in distress. And this one is no different, if not amplified, because the cop literally says, "Well, there's nothing we can do. He's just making calls." And I mean. Even today, there are still situations like this where the police are like, well, he's not actively trying to kill you. He's just saying he's going to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, like, you know, it, it just still holds up very well today to today's horror and today's right. society. Yeah, but watch what happens when you try and do that about the president. You know what I mean? Well, what's so interesting, too, and I was just thinking about this also, but like the sorority house itself. I mean, like I said, we, we oftentimes equate feminism or feminists with sorority houses because it's a predominantly feminine setting. But when we get that scene where Claire's father is talking with Miss Mac and he's in her room and she's got all these like, um, like posters and like activist posters. There's literally one where Miss Mac is like putting her hand covering this like the hippies. poster the hippies. on the wall. So it's like it's a it's a very predominant feminist environment already. Like the house itself is a really interesting concept. Oh, and and then they had the um they had the poster with all the zodiac things yeah. on it. Another very like seventies wooey feminist kind of thing. And mm -hmm. as we move on to Black Black Xmas, might I say, which is the two thousand six remake um do we see more or less of the feminist mm -hmm. themes we shall see um i do think as we kind of move away from the 70s and into the um 21st century uh we start to see a little a little change some some of them too big of a change but we shall get into that um so this official remake uh, is considered to be a loose remake of the original and it's written and directed by glenn morgan who received bob clark's blessing in the production of this remake he aspired to add context to the elements of the original that he felt were left ambiguous it was released in december of 2006 in both the us and uk again it broke more than even at the box office with a revenue of 21.5 billion and only a 9 million budget so for a remake do you think that it offered something new to the original narrative or do you think it only aimed to remake it well boy if they were only aiming to remake it they really missed the mark yeah. um uh, and not in a bad way, not in a bad way. Just saying it is it is its own movie in a lot of different mm -hmm. ways. Um, I want to um, hunt down and slap about the face and neck whoever decided to name him Billy Lenz. What are you oh talking God. about? Like the guy who was a camera in the first movie? His name is Billy Lenz? Wow, yes. you're so creative. Um, and... Well, I said I was going to bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. Um, those that movie and uh, and uh, the Texas Chainsaw at the beginning, the, the the prequels that came out beforehand, they really must have had an effect on this Glenn Morgan uh, because they did the same thing to Billy Lenz that they did to Leatherface in that movie, where they uh, 
and I don't know what it was about those mid two thousands movies, but they always had to like try to make you sympathize with the guy that's carving people up. They're like, oh well, his mother was the worst. You have no idea. He had a terrible childhood, so you can kind of understand why he's carving people up right now. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was kind of funny that they decided to do that. Yeah, a lot of eye trauma in this one. Oh, yeah, there, there was a lot of. Uh, uh, here's my here's my video story guy had. They uh, they they really took a lot of influence from uh, French neo extremity, mm-hmm. um, because the the violence is so insanely over the top. The eyeballs yeah. poking out, yeah, like all of that. Yeah, I mean, this one was definitely more brutal in its killing scenes. Um, as far as like feminist themes, I felt like that was a little bit more tapered down in this one. Like, I mean, again, you have, I mean, I think in the time too, because this was released what in 2006. So we have like this sort of almost powerhouse of female cast members from that decade as well. I mean, you've got Lacey Chabert, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Katie Cassidy, uh, Michelle Thrachenberg and I mean it's just it's like it's these are all faces that we recognize from that decade so I can see how this was probably marketed to be a big box office hit with all these big names Mm -hmm. and then of course you recast Andrea Martin from the original Black Christmas to play the Miss Mac character in this one so again I I thought that was a very nice touch I did like that right and I I mean I kind of get what they were trying to do here, but I think it just doesn't hit all the marks, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like, um, this is, and this is again, the same thing I tell people with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is I think the 1974 one is like across the board, the better movie. Like I think it's technically better. It's more interesting. It's got more going on. Um, but if if I was showing a friend a Black Christmas movie, um, this is probably the first one I would pick uh, because it's it's way more attuned to a modern movie watcher's tastes and sensibilities because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's the violence and it, it kind of goes from the jump, like the very in the very beginning, they're like boom cold open kill and then there's like kill 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 and this they they really stack them up in this one and uh what's with the backstory i we you gotta talk about it what's with the backstory um that you it's funny you talk about uh how bob clark said or that he got the blessing for doing the things that he thought were Mm -hmm. unclear or, or ambiguous yeah, they were unclear and ambiguous. They didn't say anything about them in the first movie. They just and let that's it ride. So scary. it's got to be ambiguous. Partially. Right. Yeah, yeah. You you don't need the explanation. There's just a freaky guy doing freaky stuff yeah. in the house. Sometimes right. there is no explanation. Um, They're just crazy. I understand. You got to give something. Well, they didn't. Know. Maybe they saw into the future. You got to give something for the uh, the YouTube theorist and uh, and timeline breakdowners. You got to give yeah. something for those folks. Well, um, I think the introduction of Billy's backstory introduced Agnes because in the first one you hear him talk about Agnes, but you have no idea who that is. So in this one, you're introduced to who this is. 
though it's a very strange introduction to her and the whole um you know it, the calls coming from inside the house especially if you've already seen black christmas from 1974 you know that twist it's not going to come to you as a surprise so having these two killers and thinking making them think spoiler alert making them think it's someone else um within the sorority because there's so many people with these off-putting energies <laughs> um yeah i think that that added to this like this added to um, the element of surprise in which we might not have had um, had they just kept the, you know, the original narrative twist. Yeah, I, yeah. I did think it was funny that everyone in the sorority seemed like a very sketchy character. Mm -hmm. It was like, why, yeah. why are you, why are you so strange? Um, I totally thought that the and yeah, spoilers again here we go but i i totally thought that eve goyle was gonna be agnes right i thought yeah. that was gonna be the one two punch and then agnes lost her head and i said well i guess not mm -hmm. um but finding out that agnes had been living in the house for god knows how long was awesome and i really dug that um i can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head but agnes being played by that very androgynous actor um with without doing uh like a weird 2000s trans panic yeah. angle was yeah. was really cool that they just let that ride and they're like no this mm -hmm. is just what agnes looks like deal with it um i really yeah. i really enjoyed that um why did the mom have to do that the billy why did the I mom have, that was yeah. so gross i it don't so understand creepy. like such a tough watch i also the yellow tint to his skin felt like such an unnecessary oh. detail because it really played no role in the yeah, why did he have to be jaundiced like what right. did that do apart from i mean like I, nothing it didn't do anything right it gave i mean it gave his mother a reason to ostracize him which then led him to being like a live a live-in in the basement but i think there's a genuine I think that his mom would have hated him no matter what. Yeah, because, sometimes parents just yeah. hate children. You don't need the you don't right. need to come up and with I, a weird um I don't know what word I was gonna use. Go ahead, Aaliyah. Okay. Well, I, I think in the backstory that Miss Mac explains, I think his mom hated his father so much mm -hmm. that she just hated what Billy represented, which is just his father's son. Like she kind of disassociates any part of herself in Billy. Right. And so when she has Agnes, which is odd because he's she's a product of her and Billy, which is ugh, all kinds of yeah. But the fact that she starts to focus most of her love and affection onto Agnes over Billy is a weird uh, twist in mm -hmm. the in the narrative. But um, I do have to say, although you know we talked about the the gore and the kills being just so grotesque and gratuitous um the christmas cookies i have to say awesome. i love that scene yeah, yeah that was great that was yeah. really cool because it's oh, yeah. I, I i also love that the that oh i guess this would have been oh what the that happened in 1991 in the movie right um but the the art deco oven that they have in the house was awesome i want one for myself that was cool <laughs> yeah and i mean i think movies that do kind of make you question your own 
morals, I guess, are fun to watch because it's like he deserves these Christmas cookies. He deserves yeah, he them <laughs> because of what he's been through. However, should he be killing these women for no reason? No. Um, I do like how they how they um, took the eye motif from the original and just amplified it like i think my favorite oh. one might have been the eye in the floor <laughs> from under the mm. tile that yeah that was good um and then yeah. you got so many this dude really carved out all the perfect perv spots in the house <laughs> yeah he had a million little pervy peepholes everywhere and yeah. i also like that they um they just really leaned into the bag like the bag was the big iconic thing from the first one. So yeah. like, mm -hmm. we'll just kill them all with a bag somehow. Yeah. I really thought it was going to be, I don't know why I did, but I thought it was going to be Mary Elizabeth uh, Weinstead's character. Um, because you know how some films they do kind of, they introduce you to this really like nice, sweet, pure, sometimes Christian um, devout religious character who then ends up being the one who's behind everything. And I feel like she could have served sociopath very well in this movie had it been, had Agnes been her. Right. Um, so I know Aaliyah, you already touched on it, um, but the feminist themes, if they changed it all, like you said, they did decrease. Um, it wasn't, I think the only thing that might've been there in terms of like feminism was um, Katie Cassidy's character and the other girl who like, the guy was cheating on both of them and it was this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, that's a very, for that decade, that was a standard thing. Like that was peak feminism mm -hmm. for us in, in the early 2000s was like, we, we've come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, I think I think what I would what I would say as as a big strong man is that um uh I feel like movies in this time they they weren't really especially horror films and especially mainstreamy remake of old school horror films, mm. they weren't really thinking about things like that. No. Um, it could, there's even like Black Christmas clearly has some things it's trying to say. Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a lot of messages it's trying to get out. And in these remakes, they sort of throw those to the side yeah. to just make a, to, you know, to make like a haunted house. And it, they're very entertaining, um, but I don't think there's a lot of... Uh, literary substance going right. on in there yeah well, there it seemed like their goal was to give us blood gore and ass and that is blood guts and ass. ass that's what yeah. they yeah. were doing yeah 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 and i think the way the women are written in this one is you know in some way they're all catty to each other yeah and i feel it, like it, it gives written by a man for sure very much so very much so like there's this I mean, we, like I said, we have a powerhouse cast of female performers and they're all written in this sort of catty or bitchy way to one another. Like Lauren's character, who's 
I guess the quintessential Barb character in this remake, she's not only a booze hound, but she is constantly putting everybody down. Mm -hmm. She's constantly, um, like, she's very, like, anti-religion. Like, she's always making these, like, uh, religious remarks about the holiday itself and, you know, putting Oh, she lays out the pagan organs of Christmas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And... You know, she's like, like, there's a moment where she's teaching Kelly to be more like assertive. Like when she goes upstairs and corrals everybody to come downstairs, Lauren comes out and starts pounding on the door. She's like, come on out or I'm taking all your presents. Like, you know, she's very abrasive. And in each of their own way, there's just this level of cattiness to one another that, you know, is, I don't know, something about it. Like the, I, kind of got some feminist vibes but they weren't all there like not like the first one yeah now what i will say they did right well is the way drunk women take care of each other yes that that i was like wow i have seen i have seen the goilies do this this is real (laughs) yeah yeah i think michelle thrachenberg was the fill in this movie she's taking care of everybody making sure everybody's in one place that she can like see and monitor you know, and that's a very interesting dynamic, but it's, yeah, it's something we see a lot, especially in like groups of women. There's always like yeah. the mother hen of the group. There's the one with everybody. intuition. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, if the 2006 one did not give us enough feminism, uh, the 2019 mm-hmm. one sure aimed to do that and much, much more. So sure aim to beat you over the head with it. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, <laughs> that is literally what the director wanted to do. Um, this rendition of the franchise had a U.S. theatrical release of December 13th, 2019, which just so happened to be Friday the 13th. Um, it's directed by Sophia Takal. I hope that's how you pronounce her name. And it was produced by Jason Blum of the infamous Blum House Productions. This is the only Black Christmas production that Bob Clark had no part of production in as he passed away in 2007. Would he have had a hand in it had he been alive? it's it's I, who's to say honestly um to call aspired to make this film as feminist as possible <laughs> stating that she wanted the audience yeah. women to feel seen rather than objectified uh surprisingly enough yeah. this too broke even at the box office with a with a budget of five million and a revenue of 18.5 million which is insane because i really thought that people hated this movie i've always heard negative things about it yeah i didn't even know this one existed wow (laughs) well your eyes have been opened (laughs) and i yeah if you didn't like it i'm so sorry um for a remake loosely uh do you think that it offered something new to the original like the last one we discussed or do you think it only aimed to remake the original um i think it was like a a, a very new thing going on and i do want to go on record and say i did enjoy it i did enjoy okay. it but um it, it uh it did bring I, it felt um and i can't say whether or not this is the case because i wasn't in the room but it feels very much like, um, like I know that this happened with uh, 
with uh, Jason goes to hell and I'm sure, and I know there are other examples, but that's the only one I know for sure in my bag of tricks, but it feels like someone had written the script and shopped it around and uh, production houses are like, "Mm, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we can really do it. And then you'll get it in front of Jason Blum. And he's like, you know, I just got the rights to black Christmas. You slap black Christmas on this. Well, we can probably get it made. That Mm -hmm. um, was sort of a feeling I had about this one is somebody had written a, because this was at the time of, uh, of all the Brock Tina stuff being like Mm -hmm. all in the news. So it was a very topical thing they had going on. So I feel like Mm -hmm. somebody has written a horror film about that and uh, sort of got um, boardroomed into putting Black Christmas into Mm -hmm. it because the the supernatural angle was very strange and not like what is going on uh, for Black Christmas across the whole. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. I did enjoy it. Um, and much like the last one uh, or the first one, I should say about a third of the way movie. I was like, what are you trying to say? Because they made, um, what's the name? Chris. They made Chris incredibly annoying for caring about things. Mm-hmm. Like the way they present that character is like, look at this irritating SJW or whatever. And like, she's right about all the things she's talking about. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. felt like they were like shaming her for being that type of person. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be putting, um, Oh God, her name left me Riley. Like they were going to be putting her up onto a pedestal for being more willing to like Put let up. things happen. Yeah. Um, but then we get to the climax of the movie and that flips all the way onto its head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, it, it almost lost me, but it, uh, it brought me right back in. Well, and I, yeah, I feel the same way. I think I feel the same way with, the exorcist the newer one um i feel like if it was not attached to black christmas if the exorcist believer was not attached to the exorcist if they were just their own independent things i think that they would have gone so much further because the stories themselves are great but them kind of like following in the foot in the footsteps of a legacy um kind of messes with the way that people receive um the movie itself but i i liked it i think as you were saying there were times where it felt like the messaging was a little a little contradictory in a way and also Mm -hmm. like the whole like um are you going to put up with this for the rest of your life? Or are you going to do something about it? Like that just continuously being repeated was, it felt like at times just too much. Um, like um, we get it. We understand. No, yeah. You don't have right. to repeat. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you don't have to put subway surfer on the other side of the screen. I'm paying attention to the movie. <laughs> subway surfer. Um, <laughs> I do think too, that they, they switched up the the character archetypes from the original and the 2006 one because you do have these different female characters um that aren't necessarily alcoholics they're not um there's not just one mother hen there's not anything like that um it's a very modern take on what 
a sorority house in 2019 might look like and it taking place around the Me Too movement, um, definitely, um, as we were talking about before, definitely played a large role in this, especially at taking place on a college campus and bringing in the fraternity aspect to it um, was really important. And I right. can't believe it took them until 2019 to put a Jewish girl in the sorority. Can you believe yeah. that? That sounds yeah. uh, that's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> but because they're panning, and I, I don't know, I guess I just noticed these things, but they're panning through the uh, the living room, and there's like Christmas tree, the Christmas lights, the baubles, menorah on the mantle. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, they're, they're representing. And then then the, the Jewish girl there. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, it's it's actually college in 2019. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like that. And I think that's what, for me, you know, this, this remake, I think, was the much stronger of the two between the 2006. Like, like when I think of like the Invisible Man remake, right? It's a completely different type of story from its original. And when you're trying to retell a story to a more modern day audience, that's how you want to execute it. You want to add in these tropes that they can identify and recognize. And I think that the way they did it with this one was really good and you know nicely written um there are parts in it where i was just like same it, it can be contradictory but that's how life kind of is sometimes it's like some people tend to kind of cherry pick their certain types of beliefs to kind of fit a certain narrative and i think that you know chris wants to be the you know the the, the activist she wants to help people in a more proactive way and riley wants to help people in a more like softer and personal way so it's like lucy said there's all these different mother hen type characters all sharing this sort of responsibility for one another and i think that 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 is an interesting take on feminism because it's like i always think of this whenever i think about feminism it's like there's so many women in the world in numbers we can achieve a lot of things together but when we are divided we get nothing done mm -hmm. and it's like that with most groups but i feel like in this the way it's shown in this movie it really stands out especially well, and in that and well and that's that's an explicitly stated point of the movie is when they do the animal game and she brings up yeah. ants because yeah. like an ant is a part of a whole yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. that that is an explicitly intended thing they're doing there. And I thought that was a nice touch. I did like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, again, going back to the twist, spoiler alert for anyone listening, um, the twist, of course, the whole story is different. Um, but, you know, the calls coming from inside the house, which is an infamous part of Black Christmas as a whole stripped away completely i think it instead um they took a social the dms are coming from a ghost the dms are coming <laughs> yes. from the dead yeah um but and all, i like that yeah i did too um yeah. i thought that of course it modernized it but also added to this mm -hmm. to this mystery aspect because you don't even have a voice to the face um, you just have these really cryptic messages that you have no idea where they're coming from. But I also like that they, so how 
Lucy, you thought that in the original Black Christmas, they were going to try to like shame the women who drank, shame the women who had abortions, whatever, um, and punish those who weren't being the upstanding stereotype of a woman that they think that they should be. Um, this movie did that. And they, I don't remember what her name was, um, but whenever she ended up being alive, when you thought that she was dead, and Helena, she, Helena, Helena, yeah, and she was like, she was like, I, you know, like I did everything I was supposed to do, and it's like, yeah, girl, you're still gonna die because at the end of the day, they just don't like women, like. That, that that was that was the moment that saved the movie for me because up to that mm -hmm. point I the contradictory messaging was irritating mm -hmm. uh, the way they were like finger wagging at the at the Chris for being an activist and stuff yeah. I I thought like it's like okay are you trying to like Starbucks this thing like well I don't I don't understand what yeah. the deal is and then as soon as you see uh, Helena's necklace on the altar I was like yeah. oh I get oh, it I get yeah. it yeah. Also, the thing that I like too about this is like, because when we think about move or remakes, like people often get annoyed with remakes because some remakes are shot for shot, frame for frame of the original. And then this, the 2019 version, we don't get that, but we do get these subtle nods or Easter eggs from the original, like that stupid glass unicorn yeah. figurine that's in every single one of these movies. It's prominent. But in this one, it's just there in the foreground of a shot. Mm -hmm. It's not a prominent part of the movie. And the sorority there. house was on 1974 Elm Road. Yes, yeah. yes, I love that. And then the the attic like, like scene, it's not predominantly taking place there, but there's a moment where it's there with mm -hmm. the rocking chair and the Christmas lights. And, and not only the subtle references of black christmas 1974 but other horror movie references are in here yeah. like the exorcist 3 shot uh with the i yeah. i loved that when he came out with the light like when yeah. it showed well and it's so there's like three cool callbacks like rapid fire right there because Franny is walking around looking for a cat and the cat is making her late, much like Mrs. Mac in the original. Mm -hmm. um, also, I thought it was funny that now the cat is a girl and its name is Claudette. I thought that yep. was very cute. Um, yep. So you have that. And then when she's like, oh, there you are. And then you get the Exorcist 3, like quick zoom in and he comes with the, the lights there. And then it yeah. goes right back to Black Christmas when they leave and it pans back and Fran is like left on the... Like she is yeah. sitting in the same way that Claire was sitting in the attic, but she's left on the porch. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the way that they subverted expectations because the 2006 one was almost shot for shot. Um, but with this one, the opening scene wasn't what you've seen before in Black Christmas. The whole like plastic bag scene didn't take place. You thought Helena was the one who's going to be, because um, I think the bag packing scene i'm going home tomorrow so i'm gonna have to pack my bag that and claire are like one and the same so when helena says this she's just like you in your mind are like okay well she's obviously gonna die and she's drunk on top of that um and then you don't see her again you just see her like walking through a dark hallway saying hello hello um but the way that they just kind of twisted that 
um, from what you know you were expecting. And the unicorn, I I spotted that and I said, I see what you all are doing. And it was egregiously like like the the horn was so long, and I was like, mm. I feel like this almost feels like a product placement, the way that it's just standing out right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like when I saw it in the 2006 remake, I'm like, again with this thing? Like, yeah. can we, can we- Let use it, it leave it alone. Right, like can we use something like just a little more creative? Which is why I was so shocked when the Miss Mac in that movie was impaled with an icicle. And then we yeah. kind of get a similar scene in that in this remake, in the 2019 remake, uh, with I think Lindsay was the first girl who was killed. Mm. So they change it up a little bit, but that unicorn is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> I like that she did a Moita Snow Angel. That was nice. Oh my gosh. That was I, I thought that was a very cool scene. That was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that she somehow was so concerned about the guy walking behind her that she didn't notice a fully robed dude in the middle of the road, um, unless he was hiding behind trash cans or something, waiting for the perfect moment to strike. Mm-hmm. And well, I, they're also possessed. They could, uh, that's where I'm suspending my disbelief. Um, uh, let's see. There was some other some other pieces. I like that it started with them asking where like three different girls are like that felt like a really fun nod to what movie we're in where it's all the time in any of the black christmases they're like where's jennifer oh she's going to a grandmother or whatever Mm -hmm. so i thought that they set you up immediately Mm -hmm. and then they they pull the rug out in a couple places in a really cool way yeah um and i also thought I did have a thought, at least. Um, what was it? I don't know now, but uh, it was—it had to do something with the modernization of it all. Oh yeah, okay. One of my biggest things with it, though, I have to say, very millennial feminist. Um, the whole diva cup thing, like when you initially meet this sorority house, and this girl bursts in and she's like, "I can't find my diva cup," and I'm like. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and, and she's like, wearing a t-shirt that says your manalog is barring me. Yes. Oh my god. It was that was that was hard to watch. But it's, a, it's that, a little on the nose. It's a little yeah. on the nose. Yeah. But that Christmas performance was awesome. That was It good. was it was very Amanda Palma. I felt like I was at a Dresden yeah. Dolls concert. <laughs> it was also I thought that the way that they depicted um, just the tension and anxiety of the moment and also leading up to the reveal of this man that she's so afraid of. And you're like, he's apparently here. When is she going to see him? When are they going to come face to face? She's walking through the hallway trying to like, what, find the bathroom or something? Oh, she's trying to find Helena. And you think she might run into him there. Um, so just that whole moment is very um, high tension that I thought that, I mean, they did very, very well on. I also love that the reveal is he's just some douchebag. He's like just some guy. It's always just some guy. Some guy. Yeah. Hit him with your car. He's just a guy. He's just right. He might have black ink inside of him for blood, but he's weird. Very strange. Yeah, like also what like that was the the 
the biggest Chekhov's gun I'd ever seen in a film is when they're walking with Chris and she very expositorily is like, plus he was like into black magic and shit. And I was like, okay, well, I know where this is going to go. Now. Right, right. And it was also her, her petitioning to have that bust removed is what led them to discover that black mm -hmm. stuff in the first place. Which was also a weird contradictory message yeah. about right. whether you should be speaking up or not. Yeah, right. Really? Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> as we wrap up the, this discussion on Black Christmas, um, which film remake rendition uh do you think is scarier scarier the first one there were yeah. there were um I, I of course i it's well okay actually i don't have to say that but no, i think the the 1974 one is the scariest one um there are there were a number of moments where i was like biting yeah. my little fingers mm -hmm. um because the tension was just so tight it was mm -hmm. i felt like that one was very scary and the others were you know fun spooky rides right i feel the same way i mean i like you know there's some movies that i can appreciate the not knowing the identity of the killer not really seeing who the killer is like there's there's things about that that i appreciate um and like i said i, I mean i'm always going to go back to the pov shots and uh just the the originality of it all is very intriguing and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you. The original Black Christmas, um, not knowing who the killer is, the continuation of the phone calls, um, supposed to be, you know, feeling safe in your own home and you can't, all of that, the slow burn, it just makes it really every, I think it's hard to rewatch a movie multiple times and feel the same emotions that you do when you have first watched it but with black christmas it's almost the same i think when i show a movie to someone like i was showing this to uh, one of my roommates and usually when i'm showing them a movie that i love i'm worried about their reactions because i'm like okay but you have to pay attention to this and you have to look at this and what do you think about this but instead i was still just so engaged with this movie, yeah. despite knowing what's going to happen, who's who, everything like that. Um, but do I enjoy watching it more than the others? Mm -hmm. No. No. Mm -hmm. I have to say I enjoy watching the 2006 one more. That's the most fun one to watch, mm -hmm. I think. it's It's got... It, it's like I said, like I don't think it's a better movie, but I think it's a, a more watchable movie it's more yeah. like uh keyed into how people see movies nowadays mm -hmm. yeah but there's something also that i'm i'm just thinking about it but like when we look at the first two and the phone call aspect and i don't know about you guys but i get a little bit of phone anxiety when i'm talking to somebody like on the phone as opposed to texting there's yeah. a lot more personal touch to receiving and talking on the phone as opposed to like texting right. which i think when we get that scene in the 2019 version where i think riley and her friends are getting the christmas tree and she gets that call from helena's mom and she doesn't like somebody's calling her she doesn't recognize the number so she's like apprehensive to answer it mm -hmm. and i 
And I feel like a lot of audiences can re relate to that where you yeah. get a call from a number you don't recognize and you're like, do I answer it? Like, should I answer it? It, it it's, you know, it raises a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And then when she calls Helena, her voicemail is, hi, it's Helena, call me back. Or if you really like me, just text me, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do, though. Uh, the 2019 one doesn't rank for me at all, unfortunately. I don't really think it has the rewatchability that the first two do have. And if I were to recommend Black Christmas to someone, as Lucy said before, it would be the 2006 one. I think it has a rewatchability factor. It's a little bit more modern, not as slow as the first one. Um, and if, you know, the person who you're showing it to enjoys it, then you're like, okay, well, let's watch the original now. And that's- Now let's get weird it. with yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. That's the way. Um, I think I would recommend the 2019 one to, I don't know, someone who, buys feminism rocks t-shirts at target you know yeah. um well like if 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 you've got a friend who's just now opening up to those kind of ideas or maybe like a like a sort of younger teenage person in your family or something who's into horror films mm -hmm. and you want to sort of get those like girl power seeds planted i think it would be excellent in that kind of a way but for someone who already it's sort of like um, the way they do in the Bobby movie where they have uh, they have that leading lady give her monologue yeah. about uh, the difficulties of being a woman. And it's all true and it's very good. But mm -hmm. most of the people watching this film get that already. Yeah. But it's there for the people who don't. So um, I think tw I think 2019 Black Christmas is certainly the one to go to for a certain type of person. But... 10 times out of nine, I'm going to tell you to go to the 06 one. And if you like it, we'll, we'll get to the old stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Aaliyah? Oh, it's so hard. Cause I mean, in some ways I do like the 2019 version. I feel like if I were to show it to a more modern day audience, I would probably pick that one first and say like, okay, if you liked it and you want to see some really like weird stuff, like, maybe go backwards, then show the 2006 one and be like, oh, if you like that one, let's go back to the original and see You're how- You're still on board? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a whole journey. <laughs> yeah. Well then, that completely wraps up our Black Christmas Smackdown. Woo! There wasn't much of like a, like a brutal battle of any sort, but I think if there was a winner, who do you think it was? I want to say it was 06, not because I'm biased, but because that seemed to be the one that we all like kind of had better things to say about. Um, At least you and I had a lot of nice things to say about it. Uh, but I would, I would mock that one as the winner of the fight. If, if to put this in pro wrestling pilots, right. right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, 06 is like, the heel that wins the match against the face and everybody is in the face being the original. And then I guess 2019 is like the special guest referee. And then, <laughs> um, but everyone in the crowd is like, come on, the original should have done it. What do you mean? And then they tune in for the rematch where the original takes the belt. 
I think that's I think that's how it goes. That analogy works perfectly because it's also I feel like you can't really put a remake to an original and say which one's better. There might be a few very select few out there where you can say the remake is better than the original. But like for yeah, people moment, are going to be in your emails talking about John Carpenter's The Thing being better than The Thing from Another World. Just you wait. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I welcome it. Like I tell them all the time, please just talk to me. That's all I want out of this, out of this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you for offering your wonderful uh, opinions and horror expertise on this special SmackDown. It was a fun time. I'm excited for my listeners to ring in the holiday season with a good, horrific conversation of skin Christmas cookies and eyeballs and bloody unicorns. Like I'm just, I'm so excited for for them to be like, this is how. I'm gonna start. It put me in. It put me in the holiday spirit. I'm not gonna lie. Yep. It, it got me there. See, yep. Christmas horror is important. We need to support it more. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, make sure you add Black Christmas '74, '06, and '19 to your Christmas holiday watch list. Preferably not with your family if you have people under the age of 13 watching with you. But unless your family's really cool, you know, we all have to start somewhere. So maybe this is where they start. Um, For my guests today, we'll start with Aaliyah. Where can my listeners find you if they want to hear more of your wonderful horror, cryptid, um, true crime opinions? Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm on Apple iTunes uh, or podcasts, uh, Spotify, all the good streaming platforms. And then I, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Abby Normal Podcast. And Lucy. Uh, you can uh, find me if you uh, keep a dream and a wish in your heart and go to the third star on the right until morning or whatever. Uh, But easier ways you can find me would be to um, all the socials. It's Lucy Ball. That's Lucy, L-U-C-Y underscore B-A-A-L. Yeah, that's it. And it will all be linked in the show notes below. I just make them say it because I like to hear people talk more. Um, So make sure you check out the show notes below. Of course, you can always find me by looking up your horror podcast because what? This is your horror podcast, the place where you get all your horror needs. Um, Make sure you follow Substack, TikTok, whatever finds your fancy. Uh, And if you would like to see my reviews on Black Christmas, any of them, all of them. You can find me on Letterbox at Avery C O F. Thank you so much, Aaliyah and Lucy. It was fantastic to have you on here. Listeners, make sure you check them out. Make sure you check out Lucy, the puppet with the hooves and the opinions. Make sure you check out Aaliyah on the Abby Normal podcast. And it was fantastic to have you all here. Thank you all so much for giving it a listen. And I will catch you next episode. Bye. Get your PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.